Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome into Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler, from the Draft Network. Hope everybody's having a fantastic week. We are just a few weeks away now from the start of the NFL Draft, and Vegas Pro Days have officially wrapped up with LSU's ending today. So we are full steam ahead for the NFL Draft. It's the best time of the year. Free agency is winding down just a little bit as we move into the back and the you know wave four, wave five of free agency. So all eyes are on Vegas and on the NFL draft. So I wanted to jump in today with our first topic and talk about a few of the pro day visits that Washington has scheduled today and moving forward into next week. And today they hosted Spencer Burford, guard from UTSA, played a lot of tackle for the Roadrunners in his four years there down University of Texas, San Antonio. Got to speak with a little bit with Spencer when I went down to the Senior Bowl. He was a standout there. Really, really good footwork. Excellent hands. Is a guy that is definitely a project, I think, for Washington when you look at their interior depth. And they have an Andrew Norwell at left guard and Wes Schweitzer at right guard. And I spoke a little bit about you know the, the interior depth as far as at center. They have Tyler Larson and Keith Ishmael, but those aren't guys that you want sliding over to guard. Now they have Sadiq Charles in the building, but if you look at a guy like Spencer Burford, who is a guy that has that positional versatility and has started four years for the Roadrunners at a multitude of spots, by no means is Washington looking at him as a day two guy. He will be a day three guy, whether it's in the fourth round or wouldn't be surprised if he's a sixth round or early seventh round guy, he will be drafted. But just looking at the interest there as far as Ron Rivera having that high interest over the years with athletes, guys that have that fundamental elite athletic profile, and they got live eyes on him at the Senior Bowl this year competing against some of the country's best edge rushers and linebackers. So they have a good vision on him, and I'm not surprised that they brought in a guy like Burford today for a visit, kind of get the gist of who he is as a person, who he is as, you know, where he sees himself offering an impact for Washington, potentially maybe next year, moving into the future, whether he's a guy that they look upon as two, three down years down the road, he could be a starter similar to what maybe the track looks like with Sadiq Charles or a guy that they could want to come in right now and just provide some depth, both at tackle and at guard, because he has that experience at the college level of doing so. So the next visit I wanted to get into, and Spencer Burford, as we speak right now, is you know having his top 30 visit with Washington, but wanted to look forward towards Monday, and Washington will host Penn State offensive tackle Rasheed Walker. And Rasheed is an interesting prospect when when you look at his film and his athletic profile and kind of projecting that to the NFL. He's a massive, massive dude, 6'6". 313. He's from nearby in Waldorf, Maryland, so a local kid in consideration to where Washington's facility is and obviously FedEx Field being in Landover. But his projection out of college right now at Penn State, and I think we've seen plenty of guys come from 
that Nittany Lions front five and have success at the next level, whether they're inside a guard or center but at, or a tackle. But you look at Rashid and he flashes a lot of strength in his hands. But for me, and I've talked about this on prior pods, is everything starts from the waist down and starts with your feet and your agility and your ability to mirror these speedy edge rushers that are going to be coming off the edge. And especially when you look around the guys in the NFC East and Dallas has Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence. Then you look in Philly and they just signed Hassan Reddick. The Giants just drafted Aziz Ojolari. So the names kind of go on and on and on. And that's not even adding in the fact that the Giants may draft a Kayvon Thibodeau or someone like that this year. So there's a deep talent pool of edge rushers in the NFC East. And by no means is Walker coming in as your starter at tackle. But a guy from that prestige of a school with that ability, with that size, to come in and potentially fill in for Charles Leno if he were to go down. That's a potential option. But he has a long way to go for me as a prospect in the film that I saw this fall. The flashes are 100% there. He's a little bit of a soft body right now. I like to think of him as a little bit of like a bag of milk. Like the pouch, if you just take a bag of milk and you, you know, you hit it, you can kind of see it move around and slosh around. That's a little bit of the body type that Rashid Walker has right now. It's going to be very beneficial for him to get inside an NFL strength and conditioning program. But again, the size is there. The mentality is there. You can see him pushing guys to the dirt after plays. I know John Matsko, offensive line coach, loves those types of guys. You have Wes Schweitzer and Andrew Norwell in your interior. Those are those type of guys that want to take your lunch and let you know about it on the front five. So, a guy like Walker, by no means just because he's in on a top 30 visit, they're going to take him. But bringing a guy in on a visit, you have interest. You're not going to bring him in for no reason, right? So Rashid Walker, offensive tackle, Penn State, a depth guy, a day three guy. By no means is this something to call home about and, oh, they're going to take him on day two. He's he's Leno's replacement or he's going to challenge Sam Cosby for stabs now. But the profile's there, the experience within the Big Ten is there, but there's a long way to go for him as an athlete, and then trying to transfer that and have success at the NFL level is a whole different ballgame when it comes to Walker. So now I want to jump to the big names and talk about Chris Olave and John Mechie, two receivers that will be making their way to Ashburn. Olave has a visit scheduled tomorrow, and then Mechie will be in town on Friday. I spoke a ton about Olave and the relationship that he has with Ron Rivera. I took him in the seven-round mock that I did a couple weeks ago here on the podcast. But this is just another feather in the hat as far as reasons to be swayed that Washington could go with Chris Olave if they're on the board 11th overall. I talked about it before, but Washington most likely... Now, we don't know exactly what will happen come draft night. Things change day by day. You know, the days, as the days close in, we get closer to Vegas. But they may have their choice of the litter as far as when it comes to wide receivers, whether they want Olave, Jamison Williams, Traylon Burke, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, you know, Chris Olave's teammate, Ohio State. So they have options. And having options is the best way to approach the NFL draft, especially when you're the Burgundy and Gold, and you have 
only six picks, the second least amount of any team in the draft this year. So would I be surprised if Olave, Williams, Wilson are all there at 11 and Washington maybe trades back three, four, five spots to get an extra day two pick and still get one of your wide receivers that you really like? No, I would not be surprised at all. But then there's also weighing those pros and cons of saying, this is my guy. I want to get him. I don't want to give anybody else a chance to potentially sneak in front of us and grab him. So if Chris Olave is the guy at 11, Chris Olave is the guy at 11. But him being in Ashburn tomorrow, getting a tour of the facility, the practice fields, where he could be Terry McLaurin's running mate for hopefully they will get Terry McLaurin signed and Olave potentially comes in and his running mate for the next four, five, six years at minimum. It's what you hope for. Remains to be seen. But all the tea leaves are there. The pass connections are there with Rivera and Ohio State. Washington needs a receiver. Just got a new quarterback. Everything is there for Washington to take a guy like Chris Olave at 11. And as it looks right now, and from everything that I'm hearing out of that building, Chris Olave should be the favorite to come off the board with the 11th overall pick. And then out of Mechie, who has been a very interesting prospect in, in himself, just these last few years with the amount of talent that has come out, the pipeline that is the Crimson Tide down in Tuscaloosa, and Mechie won't blow you away with the speed that Henry Ruggs had coming out, or Jerry Judy, or Jameson Williams has coming out this year, and Mechie was initially looked upon to be that wide receiver one for Alabama this year until Williams transferred in from Ohio State because he found himself behind Olave and Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba and the names go on and on as far as the embarrassment of riches that Ohio State has at their disposal in Columbus. But for Mechie, he's looked upon right now as a possession receiver. I see more of a projection to where a souped up Jamison Crowder and I know that name resonates to many of you out there considering the fact of how successful Jamison Crowder was here working out of the slot and Washington tried to replace him a bunch with a bunch of different players immediately once he left for the Jets whether it was Trey Quinn or Adam Humphreys this last year DeAndre Carter seemingly the same types of guys with different levels of success and different skill sets but no one has been able to come in and kind of had that role in the slot or as a guy that has also versatility on special teams. Now, I thought DeAndre Carter did a heck of a job this past year, and I thought he'd be back. Remains to be seen if he will be, you know, suit up in the burgundy and gold again this fall for the Commanders. But when it comes to Mechie and his ability to work over the middle of the field, kind of be that position guy, but also have the necessary juice to take it 20, 30 yards to the house, that production that he had in the SEC for a multitude of years. He worked up to snaps. He was behind all the aforementioned names, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith. He's working behind all of those guys. At not one point in time in Alabama was John Mechie wide receiver one for the Alabama offense. So guys like that, and they get, finally get their chance to, you know, you come into the Washington offense and Humphreys is gone. Carter is gone. They're not going to expect Dax Milne or Kelvin Harmon to come in and, and work out of the slot primarily. You draft a guy like John Mechie on day two is where he'll go. Where That's where his current strike zone will be. I'm not surprised by him coming in for a top 30 visit considering his skill set 
and the relationship that Washington has had with the Alabama program over the last couple of years. And you saw the defensive guys that they've taken, John Allen, Ron Payne, Landon Collins, Ryan Anderson, Sean Dion Hamilton, right? Now they didn't draft Landon, but they brought him over from the Giants, who's also an Alabama guy. And the relationships can be made there. But for Mechie and this offense, and you get a guy like Olave. Now, I don't think Washington will go receiver at 11 in the first round and then come right back in the second round at 47 on the board and take another receiver. That's I don't think that's good business. But if they were to trade back, like I said, four or five spots and get another round two or round three pick for someone that wants to come up and potentially take a quarterback that may slip, then you begin to kind of weigh your options if you're there in the mid-third round, early third round, and Mechie's still on the board and you really like a guy like that. You can never have enough weapons on the outside. I think over the years, the, the Chiefs have showed that. You see what the Rams have done over the last few years. So John Mechie is someone that I think will have an immediate impact from day one. I don't think he's the sexiest receiver in this class, especially when you look at the day two guys and Sky Moore from Western Michigan, David Bell from Purdue, who may sneak into the back end of round one just because of his success that he enjoyed at Purdue and projecting him into an NFL offense where he has a better quarterback, better talent around him, a better offensive line to give the quarterback more time to look downfield. But John Mechie is a receiver that deserves more attention. And a top 30 visit with Washington on Friday shows that Ron Rivera and company have that necessary interest or if he does come off the board and becomes a part of the Burgundy and Gold, you know, should not be mad about that because you need more receivers and you need immediate production. The names are there. The McLaurins, Samuel, the names go on and on. Deami Brown was drafted last year. We don't need to go into the full depth chart, but you need production. It's not about names. You need guys that come on the field and play football. And speaking of playing football, I want to transition into my next topic and talk a little bit about Jamin Davis, who last year was a little bit of a robot at times. And it wasn't just playing football, what he's done all his life, peewee, high school, college at Kentucky, one of the most premier athletes, downhill linebackers, you know, make you feel his pads, can run sideline to sideline. Flashes of that were seen very little last year and the saying often goes it's slow till you know and once Jamin Davis begins to trust his eyes at the second level and I'm a firm believer that Washington will add a linebacker in this class I know the experience talking about Cole Holcomb potentially playing the mic I don't see that happening this year let him and Davis kind of play the op you know play opposite run in space cover guys do some different things at the second level for Jack Del Rio. But for Jamin Davis's case, this is a massive year for him considering the fact that I know you guys all out there are, you know, are results oriented, but you have to keep in mind that everything in this business, especially a guy coming off his rookie season is it's a process. Everything's a process, right? But for Davis, I know you want to see immediate production especially when Dallas takes Micah Parsons in the same division just 10 picks before Davis came off the board at 19. But Jamin Davis is a heck of a football player, heck of an athlete, and I know those things sometimes don't agree with each other. They don't mesh. 
But when you get those good athletes and you get those good football players and then the game starts to slow down multiple times last year, you could see him screaming upfield with his ears pinned back, only have the play be five yards behind him and just turns his head like, what the hell just happened? Those things will happen to rookies. And going into this, you know, his second season and he has Holcomb next to him and a veteran front four and a veteran, you know, back four with Jackson Fuller, Cam Curl, Bobby McCain. All these guys have been here before. And then now Jamin Davis has NFL experience under his belt too. So don't be quick to give up on on rookies. And remember that this is a process. And I think kind of the same thing also involves with Deami Brown too. Now the wide receiver position is a little tougher considering the fact that wide receivers and their success is a direct correlation of the quarterback's success and his ability to stay upright and go through his reads and, and deliver down the field with accuracy and, and some zip. But for Jamin Davis, don't give up on the kid, right? Working under two former NFL linebackers in Rivera and Del Rio. Again, slow. he's been slow till you know. And once he begins to work downhill and use that 4-4 speed that he showcased at Kentucky and a couple times towards the back end of last year against the Giants and the Eagles, he was fun to watch on film. He was running around making tackles. He had 10 tackles in a game the back end of last year. So I'm really excited to see his progression in year two. I think he's going to stand out once they get into OTAs, mini camps, and then work into a training camp. Whether they have a guy like Quay Walker in the middle of that defense or a Chad Muma or they bring in Troy Anderson or Jojo Doman from Nebraska. There's a lot of different options that Washington could go to add more talent to that second level. But Jamin Davis in year two is going to be a heck of a football player. And I think he's going to show a lot of progression and he's going to need it because this is a year you can have your rookie struggles. But if you come into year two and not that great either, especially at a position to where you know, you're asking to cover and you're asking to make tackles and, and roam side of the sideline and use your athletic ability. I think Holcomb's done a great job of that. But James Davis just got to start playing some football and trust his eyes, and I think he'll be absolutely fine. All right, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode of Commanding the Huddle. A shorter episode in consideration just to the last few episodes, but I wanted to address the top 30 visits with the guys that are coming in to Ashburn and visit over these next few days and into next week. But again, thank you guys as always for listening. Please like, share, comment, subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler and all of my work is housed at thedraftnetwork.com. We have a brand new site rolling out in the next few weeks. Full overhaul for the mock draft machine that I know all of you keep near and dear to your heart, especially around this time of year with the draft just a few weeks away. But again, thank you guys for listening. I will see you on Monday. Enjoy the rest of your week and your weekend. This is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.